Turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 26 through 31 here this morning. And it says this. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. That's Saul. But they were all afraid of him, since they did not believe that he was a disciple. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Lord Jesus, speak to us here this morning through your word. Open it up by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, show us Jesus. Show us the power of the gospel of peace here this morning as we gather in your name and as we seek your heart and as we seek your encouragement as we walk through this life that you have given us. Be with us, God. Walk near us and open up your word for us to understand here this morning. Let us have eyes to hear, eyes to see and ears to hear what you are saying to us, your church. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have a seat. So Apple just released these weird things. <laughs> these, this is called Apple Vision. And this is uh, virtual reality. It's got a screen in there. It's also, as you can see her eyes, she can see out of it. So it's not your typical VR headset. Um, this is actually an augmented reality set as well. And what augmented means is that you can see You know, you can look around you, but then it integrates the digital computer world into the physical. It can sense all these different objects in the room. It's got all these like crazy sensors. That's why one of these puppies would cost you right now $2,500 to buy. And it does have a, it's got a power cord there, but also can can like work for like two hours unplugged by the battery. Um, it not only immerses you into the digital world, but it integrates the digital world into the real world. This is kind of a cool, it's actually kind of interesting. So this is what it would look like in the digital world. So you have all these different like windows and stuff in your reality. You can actually like pull them forward, you can push them back, you can move them up, you can move them down, you can move them all around in the digital space. So you have like, you know, you know it basically replaces all of your monitors, in a sense, like yeah, you know, my, my main, main monitor in front of me here, and then I've got like my, you know, if I'm working like I did this morning, I'd have my Bible gateway on Safari over here, I'd have my pro presenter in front of me, and then I'd have my Photoshop over here to the right. So I could just turn my head, work on this one over here, and, and then turn over here, and it would know because it could sense my, A, my head movement, but also where my eyes were looking. Crazy! I did not. I don't have permission from the wife yet. <laughs> I mean, so it's really interesting. So it overlays the digital world and changes the way you see the real world. It changes. It overlays it. It digifies it. 
There's even a movie called Ready, Ready Player One that's all about VR, you know, virtual reality, and living in a virtual world called the Oasis. And there's a guy in there that's like, yeah, we figure we can like, you know, pop, you know, populate it with about 80% of their view is ads before in, and flashes before they start having strokes. <laughs> this is in a, movie, in a movie. They're the villain in a movie. But this is this whole integration of reality. And just even think, think about that. The different words for reality that they kind of preface. So the virtual reality or augmented reality. We have to add something to reality or make a new or different reality because our own way of living is not sufficient. It becomes the lens through which you view reality. I mean, these digital products are pretty darn cool and, and fun. And the more I look at it, I'm like, I can see getting one, maybe. <laughs> but probably not. They change the way in which we see life. And they lead us to ask this question. What is the lens through which you are seeing the world. How do we view people, our, our environments, reality itself? You know, it's more comprehensive and nuanced than just simply saying, like, through the lens of, like, you know, self or through the lens of fear or activism or making the best of it or seeing life through the lens of hope or through faith. Those are kind of simplistic, boiled down versions of a very complex and nuanced reality really nuanced question. Because here's the thing, it's an entire worldview. It is the way in which you see and interpret everything. That's why in a conversation, you guys can be talking and they're they're thinking that you're trying to say something and you're hearing it a certain way, but they're not communicating that way. And so this breakdown of communication, what we have here is a failure to communicate. Husbands, how many times have you like, Say that again in a different way. I think I might be under, misunderstanding you. <laughs> or I have no idea. Were you talking woman? What, what, what was that? I have, like, it's like this interpretation, interpret, interpretive worldview, how you see. And it can't be simplified. But it can be simple. Our worldview shifts from... It completely shifts after an encounter with Jesus. There's not a simple, there's not a simplified way of saying what your new worldview is versus your old worldview, but it boils down to that one thing. I encountered the living God. And this leads us to grace, salvation, and peace. So the main point here that I want to, I want to get to here this morning is that we need to change our view. We need to view this world and our participation in it, our daily lives, how we go about our business, how we wake up in the morning, how we have our morning, morning you know, time, our participation in the world, going to restaurants and, and going to work, having Siri on your, on your wrist. <laughs> How we in, you know, interact in relationships and friendships, our alone time, our vacations, everything in life. Viewing this world and our participation in this world, in this life, through the lens 
of the gospel of peace. In essence, what we need to actually truly do is to take off the headset of the world. Because the Bible even says, it has, it, the world has blinded us. The, the spirit of this world has blinded those in it by putting this lens on it and saying, look at the world through my perspective. And God's like, no, take it off so you can see it through my perspective. Amen. Through reality with no preface. What it truly means to be human is to see it with unveiled face, as the Bible says. And that's what it is. It's an opening of the eyes. It's a taking off the worldly headset that's trying to distract you with 80% ads. When we come to faith in the gospel, everything changes. And for Paul, everything has changed in, the, in our passage here this morning. Everything has changed. Yeah, I can kind of rema- you know, imagine, you know, kind of like I was last last week. Yeah, after coming home from men's retreat, I was like on this this crazy spiritual high. Every time I come back from from camp, every time I come back from a retreat, I'm always like, "Woo, let's get her done!" Like I have to say, like, almost like euphoric type, you know, walking on clouds, just this joy, preaching this this spiritual high, and Paul was was probably feeling that same way when he was coming down off of this retreat from Arabia and God's presence. Not only that, but we, there's evidence that he was actually not just listening to God and having this revelatory experience, but he was navigating the, the Scriptures and like we talked about last week, just really delving into his faith and seeing how everything is new. Everything is different. Everything is transformed. And, so, and also that he's proclaiming the Gospel as he's going along. So much so... That the king Aretas of that of that area of, of Arabia is trying to kill him. He's preaching the gospel. He's arguing for the faith. Some you know, accepting it, others rejecting it. But here's the thing: and the joy and the church, specifically in Damascus, celebrating and rejoicing at his transformation. So let's get into this. So let's look at, at uh, when he comes back. So we talked about last week that if you look at your, your handouts there, that Paul was gone for, this is a weird, you know, this little paragraph jump here, that he is in Damascus and it's probably around verse somewhere. Um, <laughs> and this grew where, there it is, verse 22. When Paul, but Paul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. So that grew stronger verse, like between verse 21 and 22, is three years. There's three years in, in between there. Look at Galatians 1. This is the time when he goes to Arabia and has this transformative, this transformative time in his life. As you can see in the timeline there. I put the same timeline there so you can write more notes on that timeline as we go to it here this morning. So there's three years and he comes back and he's ministering in Damascus. The church is rejoicing. The church is celebrating. The Damascus synagogue is ticked. Because they're like, we were expecting you with papers to like put these people in prison and now you're joining them? They were mad. What, what happens? They try to kill him. And then now, this other, these other group of people are trying to kill him. So up to this point, now you know, Paul is you know, 
<laughs> you know, almost died twice. But thankfully, God has delivered them. So Paul seeks counsel in Jerusalem. So after he's let down through in a basket from the wall, he goes to Jerusalem. Um, and so there's this attitude in the church as, they, as, they, as he comes of fear, but also one of wisdom. You don't just like open up your doors necessarily. Open up your arms when they've given you reason not to. So let's look at this. So we got like Barnabas, this guy Barnabas. And it's interesting to, to think about, okay, I asked the question, I was like, why did Barnabas go to bat for this guy? Like, what, like, what is this? Like, how, did he know Barnabas? We know later that he does know Barnabas for quite a while of his life. He becomes a close friend. And some conjectured that because of Cyprus, it's like this big island that's about the same size as all of Israel. Because of Cyrus's proximity to Cilicia, it's about 100 miles north across the Mediterranean, uh, you know, kind of a channel there, uh, with Cilicia being a very large city and known for its schools there. Um, because tradition also tells us that Barnabas also studied under Gamaliel, the same one that Paul studied under. So maybe they met in school in Cilicia. And maybe he knew him from their rabbinic schools to become a Pharisee. And we don't really know that maybe Barnabas might have been a Pharisee. That's why his name was Judas, as we saw in Acts chapter 2, I believe, uh, 2 or 3. Um, somewhere, no, 5. Four, sorry, 4. End of 4. That's what it is. End of 4, because this is right before Ananias. Ananias and sorry. Never mind. But, so he could have been a Pharisee. Gone all the way through rabbinic school, knew Paul, or I'm sorry, knew Saul throughout this whole time in school. And they're like, dude, I know you. Dude, I know you. Do you know Jesus? I know Jesus. Awesome. You're giving high fives. Woo, that's awesome. Amazing. Can you believe it? That God would save us? Really? I saw you in school. You were a jerk. (laughs) Zealous, but mean. But so they probably they possibly knew each other from beforehand. But Paul and Barnabas are now getting to know each other, not as like Jewish brothers or fellow students, but they are getting to know the, each other as brothers in Jesus Christ. A new love joins them together. And so Barnabas goes to bat for him. Barnabas goes and vouches for him before the apostles. Because here's the thing, the, the apostles... We're right to be skeptical. Was this like a secret ploy to get into the church, like disappear for a few years, claim claim that he found Jesus, then come in? Because there's a lot of falsehoods and people claiming faith in Jesus. A lot of people get into desperate situations, make a decision, maybe get baptized, but it means nothing because all all they were trying to do was make their life better. They weren't actually experiencing the living God. And so maybe this Paul, or maybe this, I'm sorry, this Saul is now trying to use their own conversion experiences against them to come in, find and, and grasp and arrest or kill, murder Peter and the apostles. So he bring, Barnabas vouches for him. He's like, no, 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 guys, this dude is legit. Matthew Henry even said, the world is full of deceit. And it is necessary to be cautious, but we exercise charity. This reminds me of of Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Be gentle as doves, but shrewd as serpents, or wise as serpents. 
Doesn't mean be, be a jerk. It means you still be still be loving. But that's okay to be wise. In fact, the earliest expression of the church that we know in many parts of the of the of the world in that time didn't allow anyone except for baptized believers in Jesus Christ filled with the Holy Spirit into their church gatherings. They had security guards at the door to keep people out. Can you imagine doing that? Like if Josh was out in the lobby instead of like, you know, just walking around and making sure everyone's everything was good, like he was like Hey, are you a Christian? Tell me the tell you know, not, you know tell me the Apostles Creed. We don't we don't know you. Or hey, we don't know you. Go away. Let's set up an appointment for you to talk with one of these Christians. Can you imagine our gatherings being like that? That's how they always used to be. Because they were being wise in that culture. Because a lot of people would come into the gatherings to form evidence against them to get them arrested and killed, and executed. So they their gatherings were closed. For hundreds of years. But what does he say? He went up. That Saul went up to get to know Peter or Cephas. So he says, And after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, and I stayed with him 15 days. But I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I declare in the sight of God, I am not lying in what I write to you. And what happens when he gets there? What happens when he gets there? He speaks boldly in the name of Jesus. Not only is he accepted, not only is he welcomed as a brother, but he joins them. He openly associates himself with those who profess faith in Jesus. Think about this. This is in the same city in which he was a Pharisee and stoned and, and held the coats as they stoned one of these disciples. And he is openly associating with those he persecuted. With those who gave him the letters of persecution to go to Damascus. He is now openly associating himself with those who he was charged to arrest. He's breaking bread with them. And professing Jesus as Messiah. When we profess our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, it dramatically changes the way that we relate to God, to the church, and to others, to the world. It changes that lens through which we view everything in this life. Here's the thing. If we don't see a marked change, we have good reason to question the reality of someone's conversion. And then we need to treat them and interact with them as someone who still needs to respond to and to submit to God, to submit to Christ as both saving, with, both saving loyalty and allegiance. Someone who needs faith. If someone comes to faith in Jesus and yet nothing in their life changes, we still treat them as though they need to receive Jesus. We don't push them away. We welcome them even closer to disciple them, walk with them, love them, show them Christ, show them love. 
But if and when we do see the change, do see the, the difference like this, like as we were seeing in, in Saul's life that he speaks boldly, he's associated with the church, that he's proclaiming and defending the faith very persuasively because he's had three years to study it and to encounter the living Christ, then we have great cause to celebrate, to rejoice, and say, yeah, woo! With to celebrate the great grace of God. And what did he do right away? So he speaks boldly, and then he goes right away. And he starts conversing with the Hellenistic Jews. Now Saul knew that his call was to the disciples, I'm sorry, was to the Gentiles. God had re- you know, Jesus had revealed that to him in his vision of him. God had revealed that to him. So maybe this is why he went to go to relate with Hellenistic Jews, the people that kind of represented the Gentiles that were in Jerusalem, or people in the Gentile court. But it's interesting to think about that Saul, these Hellenistic Jews are the same, is the same word that's used of the ones who came and were questioning Stephen, and who stoned Stephen, who Paul was one of. So this is his old crew, potentially. This could be his old, the guys he used to run with. That he's now on the other side of. No longer holding the coats, but holding the gospel for them. It is possible that this second, you know, in, 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 this, in this possibility, this is the, the, the second round of dialogue. This is the second round of, of a sermon uh, after Stephen's of Jesus as Messiah that these guys are hearing. But here's the thing. It sounds like they still, they still couldn't wrap their minds around it. The fact that Jesus was the Messiah, but that he wasn't the kind of Messiah they were wanting or expecting. When we get an idea stuck in our heads about how things ought, how we ought to look at this world through a certain lens, it's so hard to break out of that lens. Especially, especially when you think that your perspective is honoring to God. That's why it was so hard for the Pharisees to give it up. It was why it's so hard for the chief priests and the Sanhedrin and the, and the, high, the high chief priests to accept Jesus as the Messiah because it went counter to their lens that they thought honored God. And yet it, fly, it flew in the face of God himself. We need to view this world and our participation in it. Not through the lens of religiosity. And maybe even religiosity that was taught to us even by good people. Good hearted people who are teaching you what they were taught. And when we study the scriptures and we see that that's not true, we have to go with the godly lens and not the religious lens. We have to be still able to honor people who taught us wrong. It's not that they were bad people. They were, they were teaching what they were handed down. And they were teaching what they were handed down. They were teaching what they were handed down. And they were teaching what they had handed down. And if there's anything I've learned from church history, 
It's messed up. And some of the messed upness is still being taught in our churches. So we have to be willing to throw out the lens of wrong doctrine when it flies in the face of Scripture that the Pharisees were unable to do. We need to view this world and our participation in it through the lens of the gospel of peace through which the lost are found, through which those who are evil are made holy, through which the enemies of God are made friends. And even more, brothers and sisters, sinners, Samaritans, Gentiles, enemies, oppressors are made holy and new by the gospel of peace. This is what Paul says of his own, his own time. After I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him telling me, hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. But I said, Lord, they, they know that in the synagogue after synagogue, I had those who believed in you imprisoned and beaten. And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I stood there giving approval and guarding the clothes of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And so he does. As we see here, what happened when the brothers found out that he, you know, these Hellenistic Jews were trying to now kill him. This is now the third time he's being <laughs> in danger of being killed. They what? They take him down to Caesarea. Anything is down from Jerusalem because it's up on a mountain. So when it says down, it just means off the mountain. So down to Caesarea, even though it was north, and sent him off to Tarsus. So Caesarea was the main port. It was like someone taking someone down to Seattle. It's the the closest main port for us. They took him down to Seattle and shipped him off to Australia. To, To Alaska. Shipped him off to Alaska. Shipped him off to his hometown. And what happened? So the church had peace. So the church was strengthened. So the church increased in number. I want to look at these few things as we, as we wrap up our time here this morning. Verse 31, it said, The church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened. Strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. I love this. God had defeated the enemy of the church. Woo! Mic drop. He defeated the enemy of the church by converting him to faith in Jesus, by transforming his life, by making him a friend through the gospel of peace. Paul was not brought to faith, was not brought to Christ through debate or mockery, theological zingers on Instagram or TikTok, through political legislation that forced him to receive Jesus or to live a certain way. Paul was won over by the preaching of the gospel, Stephen, and by a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
This is where I think he writes to the Romans. He says, for if while we were enemies, he can put himself right in there. Man, when I was an enemy, for when I was an enemy, I was still reconciled to God through the death of his son. Then now how much more having been reconciled, will I be saved by his life? Put yourself in there. If For if I, while I was an enemy, I was reconciled to God through the death of his son. How much more than having been reconciled now will I be saved by his life? Reconciled, saved, glorified, justified. And what did he do with that? He was a Christian for about three years and then he was there for a couple weeks. And then he's sent away. He's got, you know, quite a while, several weeks, because it took a while to, you know, travel from Jerusalem to Caesarea, from Caesarea to sail up to Tarsus. That was probably a couple weeks journey. He had all this time to think and to pray and to contemplate. God, what are you doing in my life? You're sending me back home. What do you want? He said this. Afterwards, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches that are in Christ. They simply kept hearing, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy. And and they glorified God because of me. Who is glorifying God because of your salvation? Who is saying, yeah, they were messed up. But God. God transformed their life. And do we give them, do we give the church, do we give God's people the grace and the power and, and the, the joy to, see, to glorify God because of what He did in your life? Because of what He's doing in your life? So the church. That Jesus would transform someone as evil and destructive as, Paul of Tarsus, as Saul of Tarsus and transform even the likes of him into a follower of Jesus must have given the church in those regions an extra boost of confidence and boldness. Like whenever like, you know, a celebrity like Jim Carrey came to faith in Jesus. We're like, man, if, you know, God can do something amazing through that guy's life. Look, he's transforming them. Look, he's saving that person. Look, you know, what's the guy from, from Holes, from Transformers? Thank you, Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. Jesus saved him through a character that he was playing. And we're like, woo, that's amazing. Justin Bieber. All sorts of things. These celebrities. Saul was kind of a celebrity, not in a good way. Kanye West. Nuance. I'll say that. Because <laughs> like at this point, his devotion to the gospel had gotten him killed almost what, three times, two or three times at this point. But also, it gave the church a little bit of a pause though as well. Because think about this. Some, I mean, think about it. That's why people were like, Kanye West came to faith in Jesus? Yeah, right. Well, look at his life. He's still messing up. 
Well, duh, he's in the limelight. Follow you around for 24-7 with, with the media. See how, see how your life looks on the screen. But he also, think, imagine this. Imagine those who knew what Saul, what Saul in Jerusalem and in Damascus knew what Saul had done or had actually or had been, had been affected by what he had done. Think about this. Brothers and sisters in the Jerusalem church whose family members had been arrested or killed by Saul. Who knew the raging face. Who knew the man breathing fire and threats against them. Sometimes after someone is being discipled, we still treat them as unloved by God. Keep them at arm's length. We treat them with, with distrust. It's not only them who need a heart change when they come to faith. It's also us in the church. We need the heart change toward them as well. And lastly, that they increased in number. Another one of these three times that it's mentioned in the, in the New Testament said the church had peace. God had defeated the enemy of the church by making him a friend, by making him a brother. Living in the fear, honor, reverence, devotion to the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. This is why they increased in number. Because they were people who had encountered the living God and were filled with His joy, filled with His encouragement, filled with His passion he, they, the, the church wanted everyone to know it. Wanted everyone to know the goodness that they had found. Wanted to know the, what, the peace of the gospel. They wanted to, them to also come into this reverence of the Lord and be encouraged by this same Holy Spirit. They lived in the fear of the Lord and the encouragement by the Holy Spirit. So how does that speak to us here this morning? It reminds us that we are called, we are filled with His Spirit. Why? To speak God's Word. To speak Jesus with all boldness. The purpose of our testimony that God gave us, the story that we've been given, how we came to faith in Jesus, and the work that He's done in our life, that, that testimony is to give witness to Jesus Christ. Not specifically how lost and terrible we were. I mean, I've, I've heard you know, the testimonies of like the guy who just went on for like an hour talking about how he used to be a part of the Hells Angels and selling drugs and having sex with everyone and doing this and he killed that guy and killed this guy. And at the end of it, it's like, oh, but Jesus saved me. And I got baptized. I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's not about us. It's about Christ. Our testimony exists insofar as we make glory and make much of Christ. Make much of Jesus' name. As John Stott would say, to witness is to speak of Christ. Our own experience may illustrate and illuminate, but must not dominate our testimony. Because the Holy Spirit's chief function, think about this, Jesus told us, the Holy Spirit the same, the, 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 same you know, the, the, the supreme function of 
The Holy Spirit is to bear witness to Christ. He said, when the, whole, when the Helper comes, He will teach you about Me. He will reveal Me to you. So speaking of John's style, I want to kind of end, end our time with this thought. This is what John Stott says in his commentary here on Acts. He says, As for the unconverted, there are many Sauls of Tarsus in the world today. Like him, they are richly endowed with natural gifts of intellect and character. Men and women, men and women of personality, energy, initiative, and drive, having the courage of their non-Christian convictions, utterly sincere, but sincerely mistaken. Traveling, as it were, from Jerusalem to Damascus, instead of from Damascus to Jerusalem. Hard, stubborn, even fanatical in their rejection of Jesus Christ. But they are not beyond His sovereign grace. We need more faith, more holy expectation, which will lead us to pray for them, as we may be sure that early Christians prayed for Saul, that Christ will first prick them with His goads and then decisively lay hold of them. We need to expect more of God. Pray for our enemies. Pray for those who don't know Jesus, who are vehement and passionate in the rejection of Jesus. But we pray for their broken heart that God may use them, that God may save them, that God will extend His hand of grace to them. That God can save anyone. We need to expect more from God, not less. And what do we need to expect more of from God? More faith. More peace. More encouragement. More salvations. More reasons to fill up that tub. More people with us around the table. Because they're encountering the, the fullness of Jesus. And for us, transformation. More growth. More maturity. More presence. Encountering and, 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 and putting ourselves and inviting the presence of God's presence in our lives. And going into His presence in prayer and worship. More power. More healing. More breakouts of the Holy Spirit. More anointings. We want more Christ. We want more of His Holy Spirit. So that we can know more of the Father. So we can draw close, close to Him. Draw near. And invite others to draw near that same presence, that same glory. That this would be a house of glory. That this would be a house of encouragement. That this would be a house of peace. That this would be a house of hope. That this would be a house of love. Because it is where the Holy Spirit chooses to reside. So be encouraged as we walk, as we live our lives, to speak God's word. Speak Jesus with all boldness. As you encounter 
the presence, the power, and the peace of Christ. Jesus, we love you and we pray your presence. God, that you would send your Holy Spirit to anoint us with your presence. God, invite us into your presence, into where you are. Lord, empower us to speak boldly. Lord, to see this world and our participation in it, Lord, through the lens of the gospel of peace. That we don't try to convert people the way that this world thinks through argument and discourse and mockery, but Lord, through invitation. Lord, through love. Through blessing. Through prayer. Use us, God, to build your kingdom. Use us, Lord. Lord, help us to walk in the fear of you and encourage us in your Holy Spirit and increase us in number. For in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.